I have a sister from Minnesota who joined us here uh, a couple months ago on a Sunday morning, and, uh, and then a few weeks ago, she told me that, that two other sisters of ours have joined in watching online, so we've got three of them watching from uh, Milwaukee area and, and Arizona and Minnesota, so um, hello, greeting there, uh, good to have you with us. And uh, one of them is celebrating a very special birthday this Wednesday. Leslie, this is for you. And uh, I won't say how old she is, but it is a very significant number divisible by 10. So, yeah. So that's the 20th. The 22nd is a day I always look forward to, 22nd of December every year. And it's nobody's birthday that I know. And uh, it's not my anniversary, uh, but it is a really special day because it's the day we start gaining daylight. Uh, and it's coming this week, so uh, I am just so glad to see that. December 21st is the shortest day of the year, longest night of the year, but all of that begins to change on the 22nd. Sunrise on the 22nd will actually be one full minute earlier than sunrise on the 21st this week. So that is a great thing. I think it's a great fitting thing that we can talk about that uh, as we discuss light and darkness today. So grab a Bible if you need one. Uh, there are some folks coming down the rows here who have one. And uh, if you're using that one, um, it is page 739, page 739, but otherwise, John chapter 1, and we'll start at verse 1, looking through uh, verse 5. So grab one and uh, turn to page 739 and join us. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We've been talking about the lights of Christmas these days, and it really is fascinating to see a light growing not only in our neighborhoods, but to look at Scripture and see the references to light in the narratives surrounding the birth of Jesus uh, we looked at Luke's gospel two weeks ago. Luke tells of the glory of God that shone like a blinding light to announce the birth of Jesus to shepherds. And so we talked about light that dazzles, uh, shown to a bunch of nobodies working third shift on a sheep farm. How God displayed his glory so lavishly to people who uh, ordinary folks might just write off. Last week, we looked at Matthew's gospel. Matthew tells of the star of Bethlehem that guided the Magi from their own country to the place where they found Jesus and worshiped. And so we talked about light that leads. And it shows us that, that God was and still is interested in reaching everyone, reaching outside of his covenant people to reach to the world with the message of his love. Today we take a look at John's gospel, 
John, in both his gospel and his letters, has a lot to say about darkness and light. He reminds us that it was night, for instance, when Nicodemus came to Jesus. And we wonder if, if maybe John saw some significance in that fact. Did darkness describe Nicodemus' understanding when he came to Jesus and learned that he needed to be born again? John also tells us that when Judas went out to betray Jesus, it was night. And it seems that here we have the account of one who left the light to embrace the darkness. And all through John's writings, uh, we have this contrast of darkness and light. From the perspective of believers at the time that John wrote, I think uh, things were looking pretty dark when John wrote his gospel. John likely wrote his gospel during the reign of Nero, a man who enjoyed putting Christians to death for their faith. Not only did Nero send Christians out unarmed to face the lions in the Colosseum, but he also dipped Christians in tar and used them as torches in his gardens at night. John had watched the persecution of his fellow Christians grow to this point. Jesus' followers were at first ignored, but when Christianity started to spread, Christians were seen as a growing threat by the Jews and by the Romans alike. Acts chapter 7 records the death of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And the first verse of the next chapter tells us that there was a great persecution that broke out against the church that same day. Persecution was the order of the day when John wrote. Acts chapter 12 records the death of John's brother James, killed by order of Herod. James would be the first of the original 12 disciples to be put to death. And in time, all of them would die violent deaths, except for John, who would die in exile on the island of Patmos. I wonder how many had died by the time John wrote his gospel. He had to know that following Christ would be costly for him as well. Now, why do I mention all of that? Well, because while John doesn't tell the Christmas story the way the other gospel writers do, he does have some very significant things to say about the coming of Christ. And we need to understand the context of his writing. It was a time of great darkness, and yet in that time of darkness, he writes these words, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's as though John were telling those who would follow Jesus, expect opposition, anticipate victory. In fact, if, if you want the sermon in a sentence today, that's it, expect opposition, anticipate victory. I'd like for us to zero in on verse 5. In the NIV, um, as I was preparing it this week, I was using a, a little older version of the NIV, and it says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Um, our paperback one uh, uses the word overcome, uh, but uh, the word has quite a range of meaning, as we're about to see. And since reading a passage of Scripture in multiple translations is easier and cheaper than learning Greek, uh, we're going to look at a few different 
translations here this morning. So there's the NIV. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The uh, ESV, the English Standard Version, says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The New American Standard Bible says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. J.B. Phillips' translation puts it this way, the light still shines in the darkness and the darkness has never put it out. And then the New Living Translation says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Expect opposition. Anticipate victory. Let me share just a few observations while that slide is still up. First, about the light. Notice that the shining is in the present tense. The light shines in the darkness. It's happening now. As John writes his letter, the light is shining. The world may be dark as he writes his letter, but the light is still shining Nero may be the emperor, but the light is still shining. The world may reject the message, but the light is still shining. Christians may be dying for their faith, but the light is still shining. The light shines in the darkness, still shines. And the fact that it is a time of great darkness in the world doesn't diminish the light at all. In fact, the greater the darkness the more noticeable the light. You see the Advent candles up here, and uh, the platform is, is lit. But if we turned down the lights, the candles would only become all the more noticeable. It's uh, in the pitch darkness that they stand out so starkly. I attended a, an event and heard a speaker tell about a trip she took to uh, Walmart with her daughter, a five-year-old daughter. She bought her a little flashlight, and, and the girl turned the flashlight on, but in the lighted store, it, it wasn't very bright. And she said, Mommy, let's go find some darkness. That's what flashlights are made for, to, to light up darkness, not to shine in a lighted store. Flashlight was made to shine in the darkness, and the greater the darkness, the more noticeable the light. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16 says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. We are intended to shine in dark places. Now, if you were in charge of the darkness, you'd want to do something about that. That leads us to the second observation, and that's about the darkness. Take a look again at the different versions that we put up there before. The word translated understood in the NIV is a much more powerful word than it might seem at first. Look again at what the other translations have used to translate it. Overcome, comprehend, put out, extinguish. The word is sometimes used to get across the idea of understanding something. So the word comprehend 
does a nice job of that. But the basic meaning of the word is to grasp, to grasp something. Now, when we're talking about learning, we might say, I get it. I, I understand now. Thank you for explaining that to me. I can grasp that concept now. And it's used that way in the Bible. This same word shows up in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, when God is trying to impress upon Peter that he's interested in reaching all people, including Gentiles. And it says there in Acts 10, 34, then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. I now realize, I get it, I comprehend it, I grasp that, I, I understand now. But it goes beyond the idea of understanding. Listen to how the same word is translated in some other situations. Mark chapter 9, verse 18, for instance, uh, referring to a demon-possessed boy, the boy's father says, whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. Whenever it seizes him, whenever it takes over in his life. John chapter 8, verse 3. Uh, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, caught, apprehended. Uh, John 12, 35, Jesus told them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Overtake, gain dominance. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it, so that you may take hold of it. Common denominator in all these ways of translating that word is the idea of grasping something. The word comprehend is, is helpful because it carries a double meaning. It can mean understand, but it's bigger than that. It can mean to take in. But it's not like the darkness is trying just to understand the light. Maybe trying to do that, but it's trying to do much more. It's trying to take it in. It's trying to swallow it up. Take a look at Revelation chapter 12, starting at uh, verse 1. It's, it's a fascinating account here. Uh, John writes, A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. This was also written by John. Um, this dragon wants to devour the child. Different words, same idea, to, to take it in, to, to swallow it whole. The darkness wants to take the light in, to consume it, to devour it. You put that next to John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not been able to grasp it, to take it in. The light still shines, 
in the darkness. Now, you might say, that's interesting. What's it have to do with us? It's a good question. Uh, let's talk about some outworkings of that idea. Let's consider three events where John has seen the light shining and the darkness unable to take it in, despite its best efforts. The first is the birth of Jesus. Matthew records an incident uh, commonly known as the slaughter of the innocents in Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 to 18. Herod was unhappy to hear from the Magi about one who was born king of the Jews, since he himself was only appointed king of the Jews by the Romans. So he orders the execution of all male children in Jerusalem, two years of age and under. But Joseph had been warned in a dream to escape to Egypt. And so even though Herod tried to snuff the light out, the light is still shining. The darkness wasn't able to take it in. And John seems to have this event, the slaughter of the innocents, in mind as he writes Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 to 5 that we just looked at. If Satan could have killed the baby that baby would not have been able to grow up to provide salvation for us. Michael Card wrote a song a while back that speaks of this attempt to kill the baby Jesus. The song is called The Spirit of the Age. Let me just read a few lines for you. No way of understanding this sad and painful sign. Whenever Satan rears his head, there comes a tragic time. If he could crush the cradle, then that would stop the cross. He knew that once the light was born, his every hope was lost. The song also speaks then of the final victory, though, of that baby that Herod tried to kill. He writes this, Soon all the ones who seem to die for nothing will stand beside the ancient of days. With joy, we'll see that infant from the manger come and crush the spirit of the age. So in the end, the light is still shining. The darkness has not been able to take it in. The second event that John witnessed where the darkness tried to take in the light was at the death of Jesus. During this Christmas season, we need to keep in mind that Jesus didn't just come to identify with us. Being born like us, growing up like us, experiencing all the things that we experience. That is wonderful, and that is part of why he came, to identify with us in every way. But it's not all of why he came. He came to live a sinless life and to die in our place, to take on himself the sin that we deserve punishment for. He took that himself so that we might be forgiven. In the crucifixion narratives, in each of the four Gospels, we're told that darkness came over the whole land at noon, the time of day when it should be brightest out. If ever there was a picture of darkness taking in the light, this was it. Satan must have been doing an end zone dance thinking he had won the victory that he could not get 30-some years earlier. Jesus' followers scattered and hid. It must have looked to them as well like the darkness had finally won. 
They locked themselves in buildings. They didn't understand what had happened. They feared that they might end up crucified themselves. So Satan's celebrating. The disciples are hiding. And it looks like the darkness had won. But on Easter Sunday morning, an event took place that transformed these 11 frightened men into a fearless group that would stop at nothing to share the message of the gospel. Jesus was raised from the dead. A little sidebar. There's been some interesting information out in recent years about an artifact called the Shroud of Turin. Familiar with the Shroud of Turin? It purports to be the burial cloth of Jesus, the, the face covering. I don't know what you think about that. And we need to be careful not to go down rabbit holes and, and venerate artifacts and all of that. But it does bear some impressive indications that it could be authentic. On that cloth is burned an image of the face of a man. And that image has evidence of having been beaten, having been bleeding from the forehead, having had coins of that day placed over his eyes to keep them shut in burial. And it seems that what created the image on the cloth was a blinding light that came from the face of the man under it. In a flash, the power of God raised Jesus from the dead and gave hope to all who would follow him. Now, whether or not the shroud is authentic, the resurrection demonstrates that the light is still shining. The darkness has not been able to take it in. The third event that John witnessed and experienced for himself where darkness tried to take in the light is the persecution of Jesus' followers. The death of the first Christian martyr, Stephen, is recorded in Acts chapter 7, as I mentioned before. And the first verse of chapter 8 tells us that there arose on that day a great persecution against the church at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now look at the locations in that verse. What ones stand out? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Think back in time, as, um, as uh, Luke writes in Acts chapter uh, 1, to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Where did Jesus tell his followers they would be his witnesses? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The persecution tried to extinguish the light, but all it did was scatter the light. So the light could spread 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan wants to devour us. He wants to take us in, but he can't. The light is still shining, and so the darkness can't take it in. And even in the midst of persecution, we have hope. Martin Luther put it this way, The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And not only that, but the places of greatest persecution have been the places 
where the church has grown the most. The greater the darkness, the more noticeable the light. Tertullian put it this way, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Why is that? Well, it's because in those times, people understand what really matters. When you see someone who's willing to die for his or her faith, you know that person really believes what it is he or she is saying. When you see a hundred people willing to die for their faith, you realize the power of what it is they're trusting. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness can't take it in. Light continues to shine. The cause of Christ continues to advance. The darkness continues to try to snuff it out. But try as it will, the darkness can't win. Will we face that opposition? Absolutely we will. Will Satan try to discourage you from growing personally in your faith walk with Christ? Of course he will. Will he try to keep you from sharing the love of Christ with others? Yes, he's invested in that. Does he like the idea of our being a church on mission to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ? No, he hates it. Be alert. He's going to try to get us off mission. You can expect opposition, but you can anticipate victory. The light is shining. The darkness can't take it in. The gospel is advancing. Be encouraged and shine that light. You'll find some questions for further thought in your program. I hope you can make use of those this coming week. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for the assurance that though the darkness tries to extinguish the light, it can't do it. It can't take it in. It can't grasp it. The light shines in the darkness. And so, Father, I pray that as we encounter elements of that darkness, that we would have the confidence that the light still shines and will continue to shine and the darkness won't win. And so, Father, help us to shine the light that you've given to us as we encounter people who don't know you I pray that you would help us to share that light and with it to share the hope that we have that goes beyond this world. And so, Father, I pray that in this coming week or so, as, as people really anticipate uh, Christmas Day, that we would be able to reflect the light that you have given to us and draw people closer to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.